We're going to start a series today called, Where's Jesus Going Today? Where's Jesus going today? Because he's going somewhere, and I'd like to know where. If you believe that Jesus died on a cross and rose again, you believe that he's still alive, and then he's going somewhere among us or through us or something, and we're just going to spend some time in the next few weekends just talking about what it looks like and where Jesus goes. Now, we're going to spend most of our time telling stories from the Gospel of Luke, But today to get started with this, I want you, if you have a Bible with you, I want you to open up to Colossians chapter 1, and uh, let's just, I want to read a a statement from the Apostle Paul. So Paul wrote this letter to a church in the little town of Colossae, uh, which is now kind of in the central part of Turkey, and he wrote to this church that was in this little village, and he said, hey, I want you to understand what it looks like to follow Jesus. And so here's the statement he makes in Colossians chapter 1, verse 27. And we're kind of jumping in the middle, so I'll give you some background. He says, to them, that is to the Lord's people, right? To God's people, so people that follow him. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. God has this plan. He wants to make his son known throughout the whole world, to the whole Gentile world. Before that, God only really revealed himself to the Jews, to the nation of Israel. Now he's going, I'm going to show him to everybody. I want everybody to know the whole Gentile world. And here's how I'm going to do it. I'm going to do it through a mystery. Like if it's a mystery, no one's going to know about it. No, it's a mystery that God wants to reveal to us. The mystery is this, Christ in you. If you trust Jesus, if you follow Jesus, Christ is in you. And that has some implications for us, right? I mean, think about this. Number one, if Christ is in you, that means if I follow Jesus, Jesus follows me. We're always talking to Lakeside about, you know, making passionate and productive followers of Jesus. We want more followers of Jesus, followers of Jesus. I'm a follower of Jesus. But if I follow Jesus... Jesus is a follower of me. And not like he runs around after me like a puppy on a leash. It's not like he just chases me around. It's that he goes with me. He follows me where I go. Wherever that is that I go. And I don't have to beg him. I don't have to go, come on, Jesus, please. I really want you to be with me. I need you to be with me today of all days. I don't have to beg him. He just goes with me because Christ is in me. When you trust him, Christ is in you. It's a mystery. It's hard to fathom, but it's reality. Christ in me. If I follow Jesus, Jesus follows me. Second thing to, know, to notice in this statement that Paul makes is Christ in you, that phrase Christ in you, is all about hope. There's no condemnation Paul writes that in another place in Romans chapter 8. He says, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus or in whom is Christ Jesus. Christ Christ in me, that means no condemnation. It means only hope. You ever lose hope? You ever find the depression kind of mounts up in your soul, begins to cloud everything else in your life? Christ in you means hope. And if, if Christ follows me wherever I go, I follow Jesus so he follows me, then if he follows me wherever I go, then that means I'm a bringer of hope wherever I go. You go, oh, that doesn't describe my life. It does describe your life if you follow Jesus because Jesus goes with you and Christ in you means hope. 
even for the person who's next to you, like you work in a cubicle farm, you know, and there's a guy working in the cubicle next to you or a woman working in the cubicle next to you and you bring hope. That means hope comes to that person right next door. Why? Because Jesus is with us wherever we go. If I follow Jesus, he follows me. Christ in me means hope. And thirdly, this hope, this thing, this Christ in me thing is about today, not just someday. It's about today, not just about someday. Christians are sort of notorious for thinking about someday. Someday I'm going to go to heaven. Someday all my tears will be wiped away. Someday it'll all be good. Someday the pain will be gone. Someday in heaven. You're like, I hope so. And that's all true. Our faith, our faith in Christ is that's true. But that's not all of it. It's for today, not just someday. When the Bible says Christ is in me, he is in me now, not just someday. And he follows me where I go. He goes with me where I go. And he brings hope. What does that look like? I mean, wherever you're going this week, what does that look, what does that look like? When you're going to work, what does it look like that Christ is in you at work? You know what it's like when Christ is in you at church. What does it look like when Christ is in you at work? What does it look like when Christ is in you at school? I mean, you know, you know what it looks like when Christ is with you in church. Well, what about when, when Christ is in you at school? What about when, when Christ is, is in you when you're playing indoor soccer on Tuesday night in the Tuesday night league? Or, you know, what does it mean? What does it look like? Let's see that. As we go along through this journey, we're going to talk about stories from the Gospel of Luke, and there's going to be a lot of stories we're going to miss. We're only going to do this series for five weeks. I, in some ways, I wish it could be way longer because we could do probably a story a week from the Gospel of Luke and do for three years a story every week. So we're going to skip over some stories, and so I'm going to print up some of these for you in the um, Version Bible app. So if you follow along on the app, I'm going to have some extra stories you can read about those just for background about Jesus being in your life and what that looks like. I mean, stories like, like it says in, early in the Gospel of Luke, it says, Jesus came into his hometown of Nazareth and went into the synagogue and began to teach them. What was that like? What do, you think was, what do you think it was like? This is a little village. It's not a big city. Nowhere near the size of Folsom. Probably no bigger than the size of Lakeside Church. Everybody knew everybody in this little village. And then Jesus, he's gone maybe for a while, but he comes back to his town. And now he's, he's acting like a rabbi. And he comes into the synagogue and everyone gathers around. They're sort of leaning forward to hear what he might have to say. Like, maybe it's going to be good. Like, I doubt it. He's the son of a carpenter. But maybe it's going to be good. Then they all lean forward and Jesus says, hey, you guys. I'm the Messiah. You're like, right, you're right. No, 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 really. I'm the son of God. No, ah, you grew up on 2nd Street. I wonder how it went for him when he came back home. Or, or when he goes over to Capernaum, there's another town about 30 or 40 miles to the east of of uh, Nazareth, and he goes to Capernaum, and there he casts out his first demon. That had to be weird. I mean, right, when, you, when, you, when, you, when it's your first time, you cast out a demon? Like, really? Do you think Jesus practiced in Nazareth when he was growing up? You think he got his bad boy buddies together, and, and you know, one of these guys is really a big offender at home or whatever, he goes, be gone! 
You don't think so? Yeah, I see. I think the people in Capernaum are like, oh, hey, what's this about? What do you mean casting out demons? What's that? And then, and then there's a story in, in uh, the same town where Jesus goes fishing with some fishermen and teaches them how to fish better than they already knew. And then he teaches them not only how to fish for fish, but he teaches them how to fish for people. And then there's another story in that same town where Jesus goes to work with a guy named Matthew. Matthew happens to work for the Roman version of the IRS. He's a tax collector. And Jesus goes to work with him. What's that like? What's it like in a tax office? Some of you know. Jesus goes there. He goes to all the same places that we go today. They didn't call it Starbucks back then, but, you know, I'm sure they had coffee-ish things. And he went there to all those places where they were. If you have your Bible, why don't you open up to Luke 11. Let's just see one story where Jesus went. Again, if you don't have your Bible with you, but you've got the, your phone, you can open up to uh, the YouVersion Bible app and follow along with us. Luke, or, uh, yeah, Luke chapter 11, verse 37. <clears throat> Here's the story, how it begins. When Jesus had finished speaking, a Pharisee invited him to eat with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. But the Pharisee was surprised when he noticed that Jesus did not first wash before the meal. So here's the background. Jesus was having a conversation in a large crowd. We talked recently about crowd spaces and different kinds of spaces. He's in a large crowd. He's having this big conversation with people, and there's a little bit of interaction, but he's given you know, the, the message, and he gets done with that. And one of the Pharisees who was there listening goes, I want you to come to lunch at my house, which is really interesting because when you, when you see some of the stories about Jesus and the Pharisees, he always had something to say to them that was a little bit like pokey like i'm poking you today a little bit like that you know and uh and i don't i'm like why do you guys always want to hang out with them well if you know jewish culture it's really marvelous to be able to have the rabbi come to your house for dinner it's like the rabbis come into our house such a great thing if the rabbi comes over and so so here's a pharisee he's like i got i got the rabbi rabbi jesus said he would come over he's coming over to the house so he's all excited about it It's fascinating to me that the Pharisees so often invited Jesus to come over because he poked them when he talked so much. It's like Jesus must have had a high capacity to love people and say hard things at the same time. And I find that remarkable because we tend to to either love people or we say hard things. We don't do those well together. But Jesus must have been able to do that. Because the people that he said the hardest things to continued to invite him over for dinner. So Jesus comes over. They're having dinner. There's some other people around for dinner as well. He's invited some other people around. So they're all having dinner. But the Pharisee notices that when dinner begins, Jesus doesn't wash his hands. And that's rather important. I'm going to the bathroom. You know. Jerry, tonight you're in it for a real treat. I'm personally going to prepare the dinner for you and the Audrey. Huh? <laughs> 
Is anything wrong? There's nothing. You look like you've seen a ghost. Uh. Here it is. Oh, wait till you taste this. <laughs> Well? Jerry, have some. You're not going to taste it? Jerry? <laughs> it's rather important. We're kind of into the hand-washing thing, right? Now, so when we're, when we're talking about hand-washing, we're doing something a little bit different than what they did in Jesus' generation. For them, Jesus probably, his hands were probably clean before he came in for dinner anyway. I don't really know how that rolled out. But for the Pharisees, the hand-washing thing was a ceremonial deal. It's part of this ritual that says we have to look like we're clean. And even if we're not, we've got to like do a little thing. So they'd bring a bowl in, they'd have a little bit of water, they'd, they'd wash up a little bit, and now we're clean, I don't know if you did a good job. I don't know if you had soap there, but they, you know, I did the thing. I washed my hands. I'm, I'm clean. Well, Jesus comes in for dinner, and the Pharisee who invited him notices that Jesus has not washed his hands. Verse 39. Then the Lord said to him, Now then, you Pharisees clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You foolish people. Did not the one who made the outside make the inside also? But now, as for what is inside you, be generous to the poor, and everything will be clean for you. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you give God a tenth of your mint, rue, and all other kinds of garden herbs, but you neglect justice and the love of God. You should have practiced the latter without leaving the former undone. Woe to you, Pharisees, because you love the most important seats in the synagogues and respectful greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, because you're like unmarked graves, which people walk over without knowing it. They're having a dinner, and the Pharisee notices that Jesus didn't wash before the meal, and then the conversation begins. Jesus starts. He says, now then. In other words, Jesus knows exactly where he's going. He's like, I've accepted an invitation to the Pharisee's house, and I'm going to have a conversation with him and his buddies who are there. And he starts out, now then, let's get into it. And then he begins to poke the Pharisee and to say some things to the Pharisee, like, like, you guys are all about washing the outside. You clean the outside of the cup and dish, but inside it's full of greed and wickedness. He goes, the greed and wickedness matters more than what's on the outside. He said, make sure you wash the outside. Sure, but make sure you wash the inside. God made them both. God made the outside. Clean that, but God made the inside. Make sure that clean, that's clean as well. And then Jesus gives sort of a speech to this Pharisee and to his companions at dinner that day. And he starts several of his statements in this speech with this phrase, woe to you, Pharisees, woe to you. When was the last time you were at work and somebody said, woe to you? Does that ever happen? 
Like, you know, does that, does that ever happen if you work at Rayleigh's? You know, woe to you. Now, I don't know. There's only two places I ever hear the word woe. One is in the Bible, and one is when I'm at the turntable turn thing down the cable cars in San Francisco, and there's some preacher out there giving you what for. He's like, woe to you. And every time I hear that, I'm like, oh, I'm in trouble. Like, woe. Like, yes, it's about judgment. But it's interesting. If you look up the word woe, it's not the, the, the word that... Luke used when he wrote this, it's not a word that primarily means judgment. It's more of a word that means wonder, like wonder and sorrow, like, oh, I can't believe you're in that condition in your life. I'm so sad about that. It, it's, in fact, when they said it in Greek, they didn't, it wasn't a sound like woe. They, they pronounced it more like ooh-wee. No, really. And, and it's, all, it's, sort of like, it's sort of like that sound we make when our grandson takes a nap on our bedspread and has a diaper disaster. And we come in and find it. It's like like that. So here's Jesus talking to the Pharisees. And he goes, ew to you, Pharisees. Now, we do that to people all the time, don't we? We're like, ew to you. We got people in our lives we go, ew to. You'll never forget this. We have people in our lives that we say, ew to. The problem is we say, ew to different people than Jesus does. The ones he uses this word for are religious people. They call them Pharisees. They are the rule keepers. They're the ones who do righteousness religiously. And he says, ooh, to them. It's, It's a statement of sorrow for what he sees in their lives. It's a statement of regret for what he sees in their lives. And he knows the harm that can come because of it. He gives us perspective. He says, you, you wash your hands and you wash the cup, but inside it's full of greed and wickedness. He says, you tithe on your spices. You, you, you tithe on uh, mint and rue. I don't even know what rue is and all the other kinds of gar- garden herbs. You tithe on those things. In other words, the littlest things in your life, you give a tenth of that to God. It's like, yay! But, when you're doing that little tithing thing, you neglect justice and the love of God. And you can hear the Pharisee going, I don't, I don't ever neglect the love of God. I love God with everything I have. I'm so religious in my love of God. It's amazing. I don't neglect the love of God. He goes, look, if you neglect the poor, you're neglecting the love of God. If you neglect the poor, you're overlooking justice. And you're not clean. And all the religious rules you follow and all the practices you keep aren't making you clean because justice matters for the poor. One of the beautiful things that happens in our city these days is what we call winter shelter. And last year, several churches in our town got together and we said, hey, let's, let's team up and serve the homeless in our community when it gets cold at night. Let's provide shelter. And so churches around our community and the mosque next door have teamed up together to say, let's just provide a warm spot for our homeless neighbors during the winter. So all through the winter, from about the beginning of December up through now, churches and the mosque have been uh, taking turns hosting the homeless neighbors of ours. Our turn's coming up February 3rd through 16th. Starts next Sunday. Next Sunday night, We'll have up to 20 people in the building right here in the auditorium who are going to sleep all night here. We're going to feed them dinner, feed them breakfast, and give them a place to stay. 
And some of you are volunteering to serve. Some of you are serving meals. Some of you are helping with showers and with the facilities. And some of you are spending the night here so that they're safe and secure among us. And God bless you because that's justice. That's justice. That's when those who have power use it for those who don't have power. It's when those who have resources use it for those who don't have resources. And it's beautiful. And Jesus goes, that's clean. But he said to the Pharisee, you're not like that. You focus on tithing the littlest thing, but you forget justice and the love of God. He says, ooh to you, Pharisees, because you love the best seats in the synagogue. You, you guys all love the best seats, don't you, in the house? And some of you guys come early to get the front row. Some of you guys come early to get the back row. <laughs> that's all right. You think that's the best seat? You're like, I got the best seat. Like, right on. You got the best seat. That's fantastic. I love the best seat. In church, you don't have to pay for it. You know, I, I like the best seat at Golden One Center, but I'm not willing to pay for it, you know? It's like, okay, but I love the best seat. He goes, you love the best greetings in the marketplace. You like everyone to look at you and go, oh, oh, Rabbi, oh, Mr. Pharisee, oh, it's good to see you in the market today. Like, I, my wife and I go down to the, like, Saturday morning market at, um, on Sutter Street just about every Saturday morning, and uh, I, I, I like being greeted. I like, hey, Pastor Brad, how's it going? Good. You know, I, I love that. I think that's so cool. And I'm just like the Pharisees. So then I look at this whole thing that Jesus is laying out for this guy that invited him to dinner. And Jesus keeps going, ear to you. Like, whoa. Got to be offensive to the Pharisee when you invited a guest over. And he keeps going, ear to you. Then there's somebody else there. It's like, okay, this Pharisee was generous to some people. He was, he was hospitable to some people because he had some friends over who were either Pharisees or what they called teachers of the law. They were, they were lawyers in God's law. And Jesus goes on with them, verse 45. One of the experts in the law answered him, Teacher, when you say these things, you insult us also. And Jesus replied, And you experts in the law, woe to you. You to you. Because you load people down with burdens they can hardly carry, and you yourselves will not lift one finger to help them. You know to whom Jesus says, ooh, to you? It's people who are followers of Jesus, but they make it hard for other people to be followers of Jesus. Jesus says, do not make it hard for others to follow me. And the church has struggled with that for 2,000 years. They struggled with it in Acts 15. We struggle with it today. We want to put rules up and roadblocks up and hurdles. And like, if you can clear this hurdle, if you can get yourself clean for this, then you'll make it. Or, or maybe you'll find we have another hurdle behind that. We make it hard for people who want to follow Jesus. Jesus goes, don't make it hard for people who want to follow me. This lawyer who's there, he, he, he says, Jesus, when you, when you say these things, you offend us too. And then that makes me think, well, uh, well, who's us? Who are the Pharisees anyway? Who are the lawyers anyway? Who are the experts in the Bible anyway? And who are they today? Or I would say, who are we today? Because when I look at the stories, when Jesus 
confronts the Pharisees, when he engages the Pharisees, I see me and my tribe. And I don't mean you necessarily. You have to see if you're in the story yourself. I don't mean you necessarily. I mean me and my tribe. That is, people that are like me. Because I'm a rule keeper. But most rule keepers are not rule keepers first. They're first rule makers. We are first rule makers. And we set up these rules for ourselves to follow. And then we look at others and go, well, you've got to follow the rules too. I'm a religious rule keeper. I keep them religiously. I mean, I do so much religiously. I'm like... And you go, well, of course you do. You're the pastor. You're supposed to be religious. Well, yeah, but I'm, but I'm religious even when I'm not paid to be religious. You know, I, I, I want to follow the rules, and I want to make sure you follow the rules. And in fact, I'm more concerned that you follow the rules than, than I follow the rules, which is how rule keepers usually get. I look at the Pharisees in the Bible, and I go, they're, my, they're me, and they're my tribe. And Jesus says to this Pharisee, he goes, you, you tithe all your spice rack to God. Beautiful. You should do that. But don't neglect the other things that are weightier, that are more significant. Like justice and generosity. I go, okay, I'm in Jesus' story. But I know from the book of Colossians that where, Jesus go, where I go, Jesus goes with me. When I follow Jesus, Jesus follows me. So he's going to follow me this week. Not to check up on me, not to spy on me, but to be with me, to bring hope with me. So that wherever I go, Jesus' hope comes along with me. Jesus offered hope to the Pharisee. He offered hope to the lawyer. He's like, hey, there's hope for you guys. Do it this way. Follow me. And now I look at my life and I go, okay, Jesus, you're going to follow me wherever I go this week? All right, bring hope through me. Where's Jesus going this week? Where's he going? Well, there's a lot of spiritual answers for that, but let me, let me just give you a different question that will help make it a lot clearer. Let's ask this. Where is, where is Jesus' church going this week? Now, you're new to this concept. You might go, the church isn't going anywhere. It's at 745 Oak Avenue Parkway. It's right here. It doesn't move. Uh, Yeah, yeah, that's just the building. The church is us. We are the church. Now, where's the church of Jesus going this week? Let's do a little exercise. Let's, Let's make this interactive. Do you have a piece of paper you can write on, or do you have a phone? Like, do you ever take notes in your phone? If you, yeah, pull your phone out and let's, let's take some notes. You can, you can put it in one of those texting things. You can text somebody. Here, text these things. They'll go, why would you text me that? I want you to write down three, four, or five things on your phone or on your piece of paper. They won't be hard to figure out. But I want you to write them down because it'll make you think about them. Write down three or four or five places you expect to go this week. You go, oh, I already know. Well, write them down. Humor me. Write them down. See, this is what's going to happen. Some of you are going to show up at work at 1900 Prairie City Road this week. You know who you are. You're going to be designing software or evaluating someone else's program or testing a computer system of some kind. You're going to do that, and you're going to go to work. And when you go there, because you follow Jesus, Jesus is going to follow you right there into the building. Some of you are going to work at 50 Natoma Street 
this week. And you're going to make sure our government, our local government works for the good of people around us, for people in our town. Because that's City Hall. And Jesus is going to be there this week. Jesus is going to be at City Hall this week. Jesus is going to be at Intel this week. Jesus is going to be at every elementary school in our district this week, either through principals that are followers of Jesus or assistant principals who are followers of Jesus or teachers who are followers of Jesus or parents who are visiting and working in classrooms who are followers of Jesus or people that are on yard duty who are followers of Jesus. And Jesus is going to be there because where you go, Jesus follows you. And Jesus is going to the Tuesday night indoor soccer league that you play in, if you do. Or he's going to the gym that you work out in, if that's what you do. Jesus is going to be there when surgeries happen this week at Mercy Folsom Hospital. And he may be with the person who's doing the operating, or he may be with the person who's on the operating table. But Jesus will be there if you're there. Jesus will be there this week in Empire Ranch when someone's selling homes to others because Jesus is where we are. And some of us are real estate agents and some of us are home buyers. Where are you going this week? Where's the church of Jesus Christ going this week? Because wherever the church is going this week, Jesus will be there. And he wants to bring hope to everyone who's there through you. Jesus, I pray for us today that we would be so aware of your presence. We don't have to ask you to come, Lord. We don't have to beg you to come. You're coming. It's what you do. It's who you are. You're in us. So I pray for my friends and for me that we would be conscious of you. When we go to these places we've written down, our normal places, when we go to these places, may we be aware of your presence with us. Lord, we love you so much. We want to serve you so well. We want to be faithful to you in all that you call us to be in all the places you go with us. So be known through us this week, Lord, we pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.